Welcome to another special topic episode of the Olefins Weekly Wrap-Up, a podcast by IHS Market. Today's Friday, December 17th. I'm Haya Batniji. Today we are joined by Robin Waters, Research and Analysis Director for Circular Plastics, and Anthony Palmer, Executive Director for Circular Plastics, to talk about plastic circularity. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, no, we've been trying to get this thing uh, done for a while. I'm excited to to talk with you, Tony and Robin, about this this topic. This is going to be really fun. There's lots yeah. to talk about. Yep. Yeah, thank you guys for taking the time to talk to us. Um, we're excited to have you on here and learn more about this new service at IHS Market. Um, before we get in the conversation, can you guys tell us a little bit about your background and what you do for IHS Market? Sure. Um, Again, I'm, I'm Tony Palmer. I uh, have responsibility for uh, circular plastics at uh, IHS Markets uh, Base Chemicals and Plastics Group. And um, I transitioned into this role uh, last spring. Prior to that, I had been in the chemical consulting group for IHS, um, interacting with our clients on custom projects. Um, but uh, for the last few years, Robin Waters and I have worked uh, closely on plastics recycle, uh, undertaking two strategic reports, uh, one in 2018 and one in 2020. And uh, uh, since then, we've um, uh, collaborated on this circular plastic service, and uh, clients had asked for a more continuous uh, update on the issues going on in plastic circularity. So Robin architected the circular plastic service, which we launched uh, in mid-July. And we're in the process now of um, uh, going through our updates and additions to the service uh, and planning that for 2022. So nice to meet everyone. So what do you do, Tony, for fun when you're not a superstar analyst? <laughs> well, I like to do uh, primarily outdoor stuff, uh, do a lot of gardening uh, in the summer. Um, I have a, a reasonably sized uh, lot of land with some uh, landscaping that I tend to do, and uh, I've recently become a grandfather. So, uh, oh, wow, that's great. Those, those those issues as well, which is great. Boy or girl? Uh, both one boy and one girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh wow, great! Congrats. All right, Robin, your turn. Sure. Hi everyone, uh, Robin Waters. As uh, Tony mentioned, I'm a part of the newly launched Circular Plastics Service. And uh, also, as Tony mentioned, he and I have been working on this for about three and a half, four years, building up the IP through the uh, preparation of two strategic studies. Uh, I uh, have about nine years with IHS Market now. Uh, I have a little over 30 years of industry experience in the on the producer side, with uh, first with DuPont, then Bazel Polyolefins, and then uh, when it turned into Lyondell Bazel. Uh, and most of that time was spent in and around plastics in commercial and technical support roles. Um, for fun, uh, I'm, I'm much like uh, Tony in that I enjoy the outdoors. Uh, I try to get out as much as I can to carry my bag on the golf course and get the exercise that that provides. We have a, uh, a nice uh, 
somewhat hilly course where I live that I play on. And uh, we also, I live on the East Coast in the state of Delaware, and we're about 90 minutes from uh, the beach. Uh, and uh, while it's not exactly like Hawaii, we enjoy the Delaware uh, beaches, and uh, that's where we spend a lot of time gathering with family. I have uh, three grown daughters, and uh, my wife and I have three grown daughters, and uh, they have uh, a dozen or so cousins spread out in the immediate area. So there's a large group that gets together on quite an often basis. Well, that sounds fantastic. You need to invite me up there sometime. Well, more the merrier, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Thank Haya, you guys. Take us, take us away, Haya. Yeah, let's start by defining the circular model. Uh, when we're talking about that, what do we mean by circular model for plastics? And what are the options for achieving circularity? Who uh, wants to take the lead? I, I can start and then uh, let Tony jump in um, yeah. with additional comments. We, we look at when we talk about a circular model for plastics, we're really talking about a fundamental shift in the way that we consume and use and um, then repurpose plastics. Um, today, we have what we call a linear model uh, where we derive plastics largely from fossil fuels. Uh, we produce products and packaging, we use those, and in many cases, particularly for non-durable goods, we dispose of them, most of them now going into landfill or incineration, with a very small percentage being recycled. A, a true circular model that we build out in, in our scenarios is one in which we start by managing consumption. Uh, better than we do today. And we keep the products that we produce in use for as long as possible. Uh, we do that by uh, developing uh, reuse models or we create products that can be repaired instead of thrown away. Uh, but at the end of uh, a, a, an initial life use, the idea of a circular model is to repurpose that uh, product and packaging back into quality materials. Um, and so when we model out a perfect world for circular plastics and we we look at how the, the gap between where we are today and a model in which we essentially would eliminate landfill, we'd eliminate incineration, and we'd be repurposing and extending the life cycles of, of plastics uh, for as long as possible. Uh, all, all while uh, uh, maintaining uh, environmental stewardship and, and managing the emissions component of producing plastics waste. Sounds like Tony wanted to jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, that that's the definition that we're operating with uh, in terms of um, a, a circular model. And, uh, you know, that encompasses quite a few things. Obviously, um, uh, it's more than just uh, restricting the demand or the use of plastics. We are talking about a, a circular model, so we don't want to end plastics. We want to um, make sure that, that we have a, uh, a sustainable outlook and, uh, and, and model for, uh, for plastics. 
Uh, so that's one important feature. We, we, we kind of look at this uh, as a almost a paradox, uh, a plastics paradox or a plastics dilemma, because we do recognize the tremendous benefits that we as a society globally have uh, benefited from, from, from plastics in all forms uh, through our standard of living, our convenience, our health and safety, uh, even reduction of emissions. If you consider the tremendous use of plastics in lightweighting automotive uh, design, and that has contributed to higher levels of, of miles per gallon and, and reduced uh, uh, carbon emissions with, with our, our light transportation. So we kind of view it as a, as a dilemma or a paradox in which we, we want to live with plastics, um, but yet we, we also recognize that we're not doing a very good job of managing the end of life for the, uh, uh, for the plastics themselves. So, so that's really what we mean by, by a circular model. Uh, we, we, we do have you know, uh, a conscious effort to uh, reduce the, the use of plastics where we, where it can, where we can. Um, you know, certain applications are probably over-designed. Um, you know, some of our plastics packaging is probably over-designed and we could cut back on, on the volumes and still have comparable or acceptable uh, uh, end performance and, and durability. Um, but but that, that's really what it is. Most of the effort is on what happens once we uh, complete the, the life of, of the plastic, once it's served its intended purpose. As, as Robin said, we, we look for other uses for it. Uh, and if we can't find other uses, then we need to uh, devise ways to bring that plastic material uh, back into the upstream portion of the value chain. So I think those are important things to, to add to the um, definition of the circular model. So I guess, Tony, if you could give our listeners an example of how to repurpose uh, plastic. So let's say it's a, it's a milk bottle or it's a bottle of water. I mean, what, what else could be done with that plastic? Um, is it chopped up and, and uh, reused as a, as a water bottle ultimately when it gets recycled into the front end or, or how else could you repurpose plastics? So, you know, there is the ability to, to repurpose a, a plastic article at the, at the end of its intended life. Um, you've seen a lot of, uh, I'm sure, pictures and anecdotes of using plastic articles for other purposes. You know, maybe taking a, a milk jug or, a, or a, a, soda, a large soda bottle and using it for, you know, planting or, or shielding, uh, you know, household gardens or something like that. Those are, those are certainly, you know, retasking of, of plastic products, um, but they're kind of incremental. We, we really, you know, given the, the magnitude of the issue and the, and the hundreds of tons of plastics that we use each year, you know, those just aren't going to make a meaningful dent. So we really have to focus on uh, on what we do with um, the large volumes of plastic material at the end of the intended life. And, and they fall into two, two main areas. One is um, a mechanical recycling, and the second is uh, advanced recycling, of which people use the terms molecular or chemical recycling. Um, but mechanical recycling is a, uh, a commercially uh, proven way of, of taking 
uh, articles that are you can get in a reasonably homogeneous stream. So uh, you use soda bottles, used water soda bottles or one, um, high density milk jugs or another. There are certain different applications that are pretty easy to separate. And you wind up there with a fairly homogeneous stream that you could uh, chop up, clean, chop up, um, and repelletize. And that's called uh, post-commercial recycle or PCR. I'm sorry, post-consumer recycle or PCR. And, uh, and that's the, the really the, the most cost-effective, carbon-neutral, uh, and capital, the least capital way of, of recycling large volumes of plastic material. So... That's good that you gave us kind of an overview, but who who's best positioned to solve this issue, right? I mean, ultimately, if the consumer was educated enough, right, they'd, they'd go ahead and sort it themselves and cut, cut down on the labor cost for mechanical sorting, right? But But if you could tell us, is it going to be consumers? Is it going to be governments, uh, consumer product companies? Who, who, who can solve this issue? Uh, well, I, I could start with that, and the answer is yes, 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 and yes. Um, it's going to involve all of those that you mentioned. I think the the individual consumer, uh, th there's, in, in my mind, there's uh, not a lot of value in, in the expectation of, of individual consumers to drive this level of change. It It has to involve the the organizations that are producing uh, the products that are um, positioning the products in the marketplace. It, it needs to involve the, the bodies that regulate the uh, industries uh, and to do that in a way that uh, affects the type of change that we want to see. I think we consumers have the best intention, but the tools are there uh, from from the the other stakeholders to really drive the change, um, the technologies exist, um, and and the technologies are not always new technologies. But we have uh, delayed uh, and and uh, procrastinated in really dealing with the issue to the point we do not have an infrastructure in place that can deal with the massive amount of plastics waste that we're generating. And the, the, the issue around plastics waste, the, the one thing the, of course, the individual consumers should not be expected to, to manage is the, um, the great diversity that plastics have. Um, depending on the type of plastics, um, there are different ways to repurpose uh, or recycle those materials. But they're all different and have to take different, uh, you have to take different approaches to managing the, um, the, the, the use and repurposing of plastics. So what you do for PET, uh, there's options that exist for PET that don't exist for things like polyethylene or polypropylene. And uh, we have a very complicated uh, body of materials contained within the word plastics uh, that need to be uh, managed in, in, a, in a professional way. And of course, you know, that starts with the design of the products and the packaging. And more and more so, you're seeing um, 
products and packaging uh, being uh, produced with the end of life management as a high level, if not overriding criteria. And that you see being supported also in the development of uh, policies uh, such as extended producer responsibility. But it, it's a um, it's a very uh, I would say it's it's a uh, it's it's going to be uh, have to involve all of the value chain stakeholders working together with um, with valued government policies and regulations that affect the type of change that that we're all looking for. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think Tony brought it up earlier, right? Because plastics are both a blessing and a curse, right? The blessing is it's led to a higher standard of living uh, across many different economies, right? Through light weighting of materials at lower cost of, of building uh, products, et cetera. But it's also led to a, a lot of waste, right? Throughout the world. And I think this is, this is probably one of the biggest reasons why uh, this, uh, this circularity is gaining um, gaining traction. So the question that I would have for both of you is, uh, is it practical to really ban plastics at this point? Because I know that prior to the pandemic, there was a big movement to blend and ban in a, in a bunch of different municipalities, but then the hygienic concerns started to overwhelm the desire to ban. And then now we're kind of cycling back to, to this whole banning. So uh, can you speak a little bit about the practicality of banning plastics? Well, we, we've, of course, looked very closely at this and um, from a from a plastics use standpoint, a, a, a large portion of what we consume across plastics is of what we call a non-durable uh, use, meaning that, that the intended initial use of, of the product is is less than a year in time frame. And, Many of the applications are, are admittedly uh, discretionary in nature, but if you were to take those um, those applications and, and those uses of plastics that are most commonly listed for banning uh, currently, uh, whether it's uh, straws or it's uh, retail plastic bags, um, banning, you know, that all of those categories together will make a small dent, um, less than 5% of the overall demand for plastics. The vast majority of non-durable applications go into things like healthcare applications or, or uh, especially uh, the general uh, application of packaging. And packaging plays a critical role in the distribution of uh, food uh, and other essentials that are required to sustain human life around the world. Um, so the without dismissing the value of managing consumption better for um, not for very discretionary types of non-durable goods is is something that is of value. Um, that in and of itself makes a very small uh, impact on the overall generation of waste, uh, plastics waste that we see. Uh, 
for for the non-durables and not to mention the management of more durable uses of plastics such as Tony was mentioning transportation and we also have construction and other more durable uses that are very significant for plastics but if we if we stay focused on the non-durables um, the managed consumption is is the place to start but in order to solve our issue, we're going to have to repurpose uh, growing amounts of plastics waste that will continue to increase and increase in, in other parts of the world than we uh, typically think about uh, over the next 20, 30 years. And many of these areas where we're going to see the most generation of plastics waste uh, is facing some of the largest hurdles in terms of an infrastructure uh, uh, that's needed in order to be prepared to manage that level of plastics waste. Thank you, um, Robin and Anthony, for covering some of the basics. Um, can you guys tell us a little bit about what are some ways that we can um, adapt to reduce plastic demand and what can be done to facilitate recycling of plastics? I'll let Robin address the demand side. He can probably do that better than I can. Sure. So there's, you know, there's lots of ways to uh, reduce the demand for plastics. Uh, we've already talked about the um, the the discretionary use uh, and and the potential for a much more knowledgeable consumer base to 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 be more discretionary in their use of plastics and also more discretionary in how they dispose of plastics. Um, other ways to reduce plastics demand uh, are being explored in a number of different ways. And if we just take packaging, for example, uh, the industry has for for many, many years looked at reducing the amount of material that's required to perform a function in packaging. Uh, you can see that very clearly in the um, water bottles themselves that are more or less, um, uh, they, they've downsized to, to a great degree. And that occurs across uh, packaging and across other areas for light weighting. Uh, but that that doesn't really get us to the point of managing overall demand. It optimizes the the consumption of volume per per application. But to manage the overall demand, there's a, a number of different things that are being explored. Um, changing the product design itself, uh, moving to concentrates that are replace fully loaded. Um, liquids, for example, uh, to reduce the size of the package and promote the consumption of that material by refilling at home or promoting refill uh, stations for to allow people to reuse their containers. Um, there's also um, returnable business models that are being developed and being piloted across the world in different different environments uh, that allow clients to consume and then return uh, the empty containers to be refilled. Uh, and, and so 
the promotion of more um, making products use more durable in nature is certainly a way to uh, reduce the overall uh, consumption. Um, but in the end, uh, once you've modeled in all of those variables that, um, of course, in addition to, um, I would say the, the regulatory environment can certainly impose restrictions, but many times the imposition of restrictions is, is, is a double sword, if you will. The plastic bags are a great example. Many, many parts of the world have instituted plastic bag bans, but the majority of those bans are, are come with a, a thickness barrier that, that promotes the use of thicker plastic bags being okay while banning the use of very thin plastic bags. The idea being that consumers will reuse the thicker bags. Uh, in many cases, uh, however, the consumer doesn't treat the thicker bag any differently than they did the thinner bag. Uh, and you've also used more material to create the bag. So um, all of the, the attempts to restrict, restrict consumer consumption are, are in many ways, many times more complicated than they, they would seem at, at face value. So reducing consumption, as I said earlier, is important, but in order to sustain um, growing populations around the world um, and to sustain the um, quality of and safety of our, um, our, our lives, uh, and to do that, uh, without convert, uh, reverting to the use of alternative materials that would drastically increase the carbon emissions profile around the world, um, we're left with, with the, the reality that we have to find a way to uh, collect the waste that we're generating better and uh, build out uh, and utilize all of the technologies uh, that uh, we have at our disposal to, to build those to commercial scale and to put systems in place uh, that allows us to collect and repurpose and create a circular use of these materials. And part of that is placing value on waste, right? And that's one of the reasons why we, we believe that uh, policy and regulations will play a major role in driving a change in the way economics are viewed and measured, and that the value of carbon will come into play. And uh, eventually, uh, if we're if we continue and do the right thing, eventually the way we value waste um, and the overall the overall perception of how we manage limited physical resources of any type of material. Um, will will hopefully uh, result in a more circular approach across the uh, material um, consumption. And, and so plastics is probably the most prominent example of that today, but we're also seeing shortages of other key raw materials in other industries that could benefit from the same um, approach and, and are uh, moving in a path of uh, circular in uh, uh, circular models for those materials. So uh, 
the issue is that the pace we're at today is not going to get us where we want to be. And so what I would say that the, the critical issue is how do we accelerate and create a more of a revolutionary change in uh, our systems and uh, in, the, in the way we manage plastics? Yeah, I think that that's important points uh, that, that Robin made. You know, bottom line is uh, it's, it's, I think it's more important to place the emphasis on facilitating the recycling of plastic as opposed to reducing the use of plastic. Um, I think that's an important distinction and one that um, the circular plastic service you know, really focuses on. For a great example is just you know uh, the fact that smart design of um, say packaging materials uh, could be uh, done better such that we design the packaging systems to facilitate uh, not only the recovery of the plastic but the reprocessing of the plastic at the end of life. So moving away from some of the multi-layer packaging materials, ones that have you know, plac uh, plastic and, and, and aluminum foil uh, interlayers, um, keeping the polymer si the packaging polymer systems homogeneous, not you know, mixing different uh, uh, types of, of polymer in the packaging system. Those all facilitate the uh, end of life uh, recovery and ability to recycle the plastic. And I think that's that's an important evolution that's going to happen. Probably one that's that's going to have more implications and more positive implications than uh, than banning or reducing the use of the plastic. Yeah, see, I I can remember the days before plastic bottles on cokes and waters. I, I remember it was aluminum cans, right? And we'd have to smash up the aluminum can and you know get it collected in a big bin so we can take it for recycling. Ultimately, we got paid for it, right? Uh, but as the proliferation of plastic bottles uh, happened, I mean, the, the amount of money that people were willing to pay for aluminum recycling was lower and lower. And consequently, mm -hmm. I, as a kid, I stopped collecting that stuff because I wasn't going to get paid for it. So <laughs> ultimately, you know, what what's it going to take for people to be more conscientious of that? Are we going to have to pay people to, <laughs> to start recycling in a more uh, thought out manner? Well, I think, you know, value propositions uh, that that make uh, deposit return schemes, uh, you know, successful are, are an important component of, of the picture. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly have the means with certain applications. The aluminum can is a great example of a format that is easily sorted and uh, uh, and, and can be you know, collected to create a clean stream return. Uh, PET bottles uh, have the same benefit, but as I was saying earlier, a lot of and and you could do high density um, uh, containers, but when you get past a few examples like that, you're getting into more complicated um, construction of products and packaging from a material standpoint. And certainly um, the as if as we move to a more uh, globally um, aligned set of standards and policies, 
um, including things like extended producer responsibility and the associated uh, modulated fees that are intended, if they're done properly, intended to drive to um, uh, favor the better design of products and packaging that are are really designed for repurposing at the end of their uh, initial use, uh, things things will get better. Um, but it's going to take, as we said earlier, um, a lot of work across the board, supported by um, uh, uh, the, the policies that result in the intended um, result that you know we're looking for. Oh, that's great. I mean, you know, we did we took a lot of time talking about the basics and and the intricacies uh, with regards to the basics. Uh, I think Haya has a question on you know recycling itself, right? Haya? Yeah, yeah. We kind of touched base on this a little bit already, but what is the difference between mechanical and chemical recycling, and which is better? Well. Um, well, mechanical recycling, I talked about that a bit earlier, is essentially a physical process where you collect um, homogeneous articles, uh, homogeneous polymers uh, as, as pure as possible, and then use mechanical techniques such as grinding, flotation, uh, metal separation, etc., to to get a clean uh, a plastic stream that can be repelletized, flaked or repelletized to to reuse, and and that's a very uh, that's a, a great solution. Uh, uh, it's one that's very cost effective, has a low carbon footprint, and uh, requires low capital. But there are limits to just how much plastic resin can be processed by mechanical means, um, and which applications can uh, accept. Uh, the post-consumer recycle via mechanical recovery uh, in uh, in producing the the articles uh, that we're used to seeing for uh, for either durable or non-durable plastic. So there are some limitations to it, but it is, I guess, quote you know better because of its uh, economics uh, and carbon uh, low carbon intensity. Um, so that that's the positive for it. Uh, when you reach that limit for mechanical recycling, and in our base case, um, we we see that on average, I think around 14% uh, of uh, of the plastic waste can be recycled by mechanical means when we go out uh, through our our uh, 2050 view on plastics recovery. And then in our aggressive case, one in which we really push toward a circular economy for plastics, we could envision that mechanical recycling could perhaps play a role up to, you know, 22, 23%, uh, but still a, an upper limit that, that we'd bump into. Uh, in our aggressive case, we push that percentage from around 14% or so up to 22, 23 by a combination of improved technology, better sorting technology, um, better recovery and uh, re recovery of waste plastics recycle, but, but also, as I mentioned, better design. So through a combination of, of smart design, we could 
uh, produce uh, non-durable plastic articles, packaging, et cetera, with an end of life in mind, and then use mechanical resin recycling technology most advantageously. Uh, when you reach that limit, though, then we, we turn to advanced recycling, which can either be uh, a chemical or molecular recycling, uh, or there's another process called uh, solution dissolution precipitation technology, which is not quite chemical recycling, but certainly uh, more than, than mechanical. And uh, the, the use of the choice of chemical recycling uh, depends on uh, the polymer at hand. So, uh, and the chemistry of, of the polymers. So for what we, what are called uh, condensation polymers, polymers like PET and nylon, uh, these are polymers that when they polymerize from the individual monomer, uh, spit off a water molecule or a glycol molecule or a methanol molecule. And, and those are called condensation polymers, and, and those can be depolymerized, uh, either back to a monomer or to an intermediate. And then that intermediate can be purified and then repolymerized uh, to produce a, a virgin quality polymer. So that's a that that's that's really a, a very uh, advantageous process, and it's called depolymerization. But again, it's only limited to a certain class of polymers. Uh, the bulk of the polymers that we're talking about are uh, termed addition polymers. And, and polyethylene, polypropylene are essentially addition polymers. And right now, there's no technology at hand to depolymerize polyethylene or polypropylene back to ethylene or propylene. So uh, for this, we rely on uh, uh, more harsh treatment, either gasification or pyrolysis. And, um, and, and gasification and paralysis are, are known processes, known technologies. They're used in, um, in the biomass industry and the refining industry to uh, uh, process uh, heavy materials. Uh, gasification is mostly adapted to biomass and, uh, and you can bleed in uh, small quantities of plastics into gasification, techno uh, gasification processes that are primarily feeding biomass. Um, actually, plastics are considered too volatile for uh, traditional gasification feeds, so you got to limit the amount going in. Uh, the advantage of a gasification is that it can handle materials like PVC and can easily, more, more easily um, address the issue of chlorine evolution. HCl. Um, but the disadvantage of gasification is you essentially get a synthesis gas product, hydrogen CO mixture, which is quite a way, quite far away from, you know, trying to make polyethylene or polypropylene. So you'd essentially be able to make methanol or ammonia. Uh, if you make methanol, you could technically uh, go uh, MTO methanol to olefins and go back to polyethylene that way. But gasification um, is, is a, a real extension of the, uh, of, of the manufacturing chain versus where we know it today. The pyrolysis technology can be applied to, to plastics, um, mixed plastics, essentially. You don't need to worry too much about uh, you know, whether we have polyethylene, polypropylene, high density, low density, 
or even polystyrene. You can have a mixed plastics feed that works quite well in pyrolysis. You just have to worry about PVC because you don't want the HCL to evolve. And since pyrolysis is an oxygen-free process, you want to limit the PET because PET has a fair amount of oxygen in it. So, so with those in mind, you can you can uh, pyrolyze mixed plastics and get a hydrocarbon oil, a pyrolysis oil that you could either use as a fuel or uh, from a circular perspective, um, upgrade that material to a, a naphtha quality and, and recycle that back as a, uh, a feed to olefins. So that's the, the, the landscape of, of mechanical and chemical recycling as best I could convey it. So my follow-up question to you, Tony, because it's not, those types of recycling, especially on the chemical side, sound pretty harsh. And I know we touched on it a little bit, but what, what are the carbon impacts to those, those types of technologies? Because that, that's becoming an increasing concern within the environmental landscape is the, the amount of carbon that's added to the environment. Yeah, again, the, the, the more torturous route uh, that you take to, to recycle plastics uh, up into the upstream value chain, uh, the, the more carbon becomes an issue, you're correct. Um, and you know, our analysis does indicate that both uh, 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 pyrolysis and gasification have higher carbon emissions associated with them uh, than, uh, than virgin uh, in our analysis. So if we can compare you know, feedstock to pellet versus recycled plastic to pellet, uh, that, that does have a, a overall higher carbon uh, emissions profile for it. Um, but the technology is evolving. The same kind of uh, adaptations that we see being applied to uh, conventional uh, virgin production, uh, olefins uh, uh, and polya and polyolefins uh, can be applied to to these processes to try to minimize the carbon number. But but yeah, it, it, in our estimation, um, uh, there is a, a a cost of carbon associated with it. Correct. But but by the same token, you need to also account for the the, the carbon footprint of the waste plastic itself because you are netting out a uh, a reduction in carbon that goes to uh, plastics that go to landfill. And it is a, 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 a challenging set of calculus to, to really do a, a com comparative life cycle analysis, which is really what needs to be done to draw the kind of conclusions that, um, uh, that I think you're referring to. Oh, this is great. Um, man, so I think we're, we're pretty close to our time limit. So um, I really, really appreciate you two coming on and, and, educating uh, at least me educating uh, me on this uh, on this uh, fantastic topic Haya, do you have anything else to, to add no thank you guys as well i appreciate you coming on here um, can, we, can we come back and, and pick up on some of these topics in more depth oh definitely yeah, yeah. definitely we should do a part two um, <laughs> oh yeah that would be good that would yeah. be good yeah Let's see how the client base responds we'd be happy to do it all right. Sounds great. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to another special topic episode. And a special thanks to our guests, Anthony Palmer and Robin Waters, for giving us the rundown on plastic circularity. 
And as always, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a like or leave a review if you enjoy it. Check out ihsmarket.com chemical for more information on subscribing to our services. And if you have questions or want us to cover something more specific, you can send us an email. Until next time. Thank you.